the violent mayhem we have seen in the streets and cities that are run by liberal Democrats in every case is the predictable result of years of extreme indoctrination and bias in education, journalism, and other cultural institutions. Against every law of society and nature, our children are taught in school to hate their own country. Is not wrong. America has a problem. Welcome to I'm Right, by the way. This issue, look, we've done a bunch of specials for you on this show. I mean, we always will. We love doing specials on a bunch of different things. This is the one that really, 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 really hits home for me. Because what he said was right. That's what I've been saying for a long time. And I want you to understand this. We have a severe patriotic problem in this country. A patriotism problem, I guess I should say, in this country. And what I'm about to say right now is going to hurt but you need to hear it or you're not going to understand how serious this situation is. It is terminal if we don't do something drastic. It's not a small thing. It's not about the, way, the red, white, and blue, 4th of July, and hold my hand over my heart for the Star Spangled Banner. I mean, oh, that's part of it, right? It's not about that. This is about the survivability of our nation. Period. End of story. It, 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 we cannot go on like this. We cannot go on when a significant percentage of the population doesn't place any value on the nation itself. And not only a significant portion of the population, that's one thing, because we can pick a number, right? How many there are, who knows? It's the people leading our cultural institutions. What are cultural institutions? We use that word a lot, right? Well. It's something every culture has. They just have different versions of these. Every culture, everyone, whether this is a tiny tribe in the outback of Australia or whether this is the United States of America and everything in between, everyone has some form of government. Everyone's going to have something, right? King, whatever it may be, re republic, who knows? Everyone's going to have some form of government. Everyone, everybody is going to have some form of entertainment. It's human nature, right? People want to be entertained. People are going to have some form of information gathering, whether it's a major media industry or whether it's simply somebody whose job it is to bounce around the tribe and make sure everyone is informed. It's going to have, every culture has this. You've heard me rant about this a bunch. It's going to have sports. Sports are, I mean, whether you care about them or not, sports matter. They have always mattered. They're an important part of bringing people together. Cultures are going to have, all of them, are going to have some form of education, whether that's something that takes place simply in the home, mother, father, kids, or whether it's a more organized thing, get the whole village together, whatever the case may be, these are cultural institutions. These are critical cultural institutions. You know they're critical. How? Every culture has them. Every culture has them. You're, they're universal. Now, how long, whether it's a nation or a tiny tribe in the outback, how long can that culture survive if the people who lead those cultural institutions 
hate the place. Have you ever thought about it? What if in that tiny tribe, the one educating the village kids, every single day told them, look kids, this tribe sucks. I mean, it's a pretty evil tribe, if we're being honest about it. Your great-granddad probably cut someone's head off. It's just not a great place. What if your kids went and sat down and learned that for seven, eight hours a day? And then your family that night, when when the information man came bouncing around, passing out the news, he only passed out the news that made the tribe look really, really bad. And anything that made the tribe look good, he just kept to himself. And the leaders of the tribe, the chief himself, because he came up in this education system too, the chief himself thinks, you know, it's nice being chief, but it sucks how bad this tribe is. This tribe sucks. It shouldn't even be. Are you getting where I'm going with this? You can't survive in that way. What we have, our patriotic problem, our patriotism problem, it is terminal. It will end the United States of America if it's not fixed. It will. It will be the end of us. We have statues of George Washington and Thomas Jefferson going down. Men who risked their lives and founded this nation. That's where we are. And not only were those statues going down, you know what I heard every time I saw one of those videos of the statues going down? Every single time, you know what I heard? People cheering, people clapping, as if they're conquering something. And I'll tell you, I had, I had these moments. I had these moments when I would watch these things happen on TV, just like you did. It happened all the time in the summertime. And I would say to myself, oh, I hate these people. But look at all those dirt balls. Look at all those dirty pieces of scum. I hate them all. And look, I still have moments like that, right? But the truth is this. People, all people, they're a product of their culture. They are a product of their cultural institutions. The truth is every time you watch one of those videos where Thomas Jefferson is having a, a, a statue being torn down and the people are clapping, every single little lemming in those videos, he went to one of those schools where he was taught how bad America sucks and he gets home and he turns on a movie where he gets subtle or overt messaging about how bad America sucks and then he goes down and watches a basketball game, NBA's in town and watches all the superstars talk about how bad America sucks and the media tells him how bad America sucks and the now president of the United States tells him about how bad America sucks and eventually, If that's just a steady diet of all you get 24 hours a day, you're going to just kind of accept, okay, America sucks. That's going to end us. That will be the end of this country. You can't survive like that. I've used this example before. You saw me use this example on on Tucker Carlson's show when I was on there. If you have 100 people in your country, 100 total, just an easily digestible number, And 85 of those people wake up every single day and they're the leaders of the culture institutions and they say to themselves, man, we are here in America and we are so blessed to be here. I have have clean drinking water, endless supplies of it. I'm sitting in the air conditioning on an iPhone. I, I have endless routes to prosperity. If I choose to grab them, I am so blessed to be here. And because they feel that way, they teach the next generation that, little Billy, 
You know how blessed you are to be here? Sarah, do you know how blessed you are to be here? In the end, that nation is going to do really, really, really well. But if 85 people of the 100 wake up every single day and they look around and say to themselves, this place is evil, it's racist, sexist, it's an evil place, I hate it. How long do you think that nation's going to survive? When I say we have a patriotism problem, I want you to understand just how serious that problem is. You must raise and foster generations of people who love your country, who love their country, or they won't have a country at all. And it's changing right now, and it's changing rapidly. You remember that scumbag Olympian just got the bronze medal, and they played the national anthem, and it offended her so much she had to throw the activist T-shirt over her face? Well, it wasn't that long ago where we had professional athletes like Major League Baseball player Rick Monday, and they did things like this. That's what our cultural institutions used to be. And this didn't used to be a Democrat-Republican thing. I know you may not be a fan. Go look at speeches from John F. Kennedy, Democrat, constantly talking about how great this country was. Our cultural institutions used to teach that. The movies you watch now, think how much they rot on this country and dump on this country. I grew up. I grew up watching John Wayne storm the beaches of Iwo Jima talking about the greatness of America. We either have to get back there, we have to get back there, or we're not going to make it. And you know I don't like saying that, but I want you to understand, as we talk about our patriotism problem tonight, I want you to understand this isn't left, right, Democrat, Republican, anything like that. You either have a nation full of patriots who love their country or you're not going to have a nation very much longer. All that may have made you uncomfortable, but I'm right. Coming up, we have the Gallaghers. You're going to want to see this. Hang on.
Joining me now are the co-authors of that book, Man in the Arena, from fighting ISIS to fighting for my freedom, Andrea and Eddie Gallagher. As you probably remember, all the viewers of my show, I went off about this case about a year ago. There's nothing more detestable to me than military brass dumping on men underneath them to further their careers, which I suspect is probably what happened here. But I'm going to allow them to discuss that on their own. First of all, Eddie, with all due respect, sir, I'm going to go to your lovely bride first. Andrea, uh, I, look, I got my blood pressure up about this, and I've never met either of you. I don't know either of you from Adam. I can only imagine what Eddie's wife was going through watching all this take place. Yeah, well... At first, uh, I kept quiet, but then after they had um, taken him out of a TBI clinic and thrown him in jail, that was the end of that. <laughs> so uh, I got very vocal after that point. We had kind of stayed quiet, thrown the other cheek for the better part of a year while this mounting rumor and lie campaign spun out of control. And then we quickly realized that no one was coming to our aid. We were up against the full weight of um, naval special warfare, they had bid off on these lies that these people had said. They had kind of put their weight behind it. And that point, we kind of had to really do a full-scale assault and really do whatever we could to just get the word out about what was happening to him. And for those unfamiliar with the case, although everybody who watches my show probably is, the man was accused by men in his own unit and then was eventually vindicated of all of it by the grace of God and now is obviously a free man. Eddie, first and foremost, men in your own unit, why, why come out against your brother like that? It's so odd, especially for the Navy SEAL community, which is normally so tight-knit. Yeah, I mean, this. I think that's what everybody had a hard time uh, believing when they were like, why would their own, his own guys turn him in? And basically, you know, I explain it in the book, this this whole case is started from a bunch of tiny white lies that these guys, you know, they didn't like me personally. There was only three guys in the platoon. I didn't like them. Um, and they decided to cobble this story together to ruin my reputation. And these are their allegations that came out first were that I was a, too aggressive, a bad leader, and then it turned into I was stealing power bars from care packages. And once when, when nobody was paying attention to those, the leadership was like, you guys need to move on. Um, that's when they went ahead and escalated their allegations several months later, finally coming and saying, oh, well, he killed a ISIS prisoner that was under our care. Uh, but, you know, when we got to trial, we had all of their text messages leading up to that point. It, it showed everything. It showed them colluding through text messages, conspiring to, like, keep their story straight. Um, but, you know, this thing just got, it got out of their hands. Um, they, I know that these guys never expected it to go this far um, because it went, their, it went, their lie went to a corrupt NCIS agent named Joe Warpinski, who decided to try and make a career out of this. Um, and he just backed all of their lies and actually embellished a lot of them as well. And then you hand it over to a corrupt prosecutor who was just trying to make a career as well. So, like, everybody who got involved in this case from the beginning that believed these white lies were then themselves forced to lie. And those lies just kept building and building until trial. Okay, all right. Anybody who's ever been in a platoon or maybe even a, a sports team of some kind can understand certainly getting crossways with some people. Everybody doesn't get along with everyone else. The leadership coming down on you is one of those things that kind of threw me 
for a loop. I, not, not that I haven't seen plenty of brass do this before, but why did the Navy Special Warfare leadership jump on board with this so fast? And then, of course, the national media jumped on board with it. It blew me away. Everyone just wanted to believe everything right off the bat. Why? I can't wrap my mind around it. Well, they were trying to protect the institution. And so what you have to think is these guys went to the leadership and told them, hey, we have this all on video. We have it all on video of him doing this, you know, stabbing, which was a lie. Instead of the leadership never asked to see that video, at least I'd like to believe they never asked to see that video. And they just bought off on their lies and then went around and told everybody that I was guilty, that there's a video of me doing everything. And I think that they had just put so much into uh, coming after me and persecuting me that once evidence started coming out like that maybe some of these things weren't true the leadership, you know, the arrogance of Na and Naval Special Warfare leadership, the arrogance of elitist officers they will not admit that they made a mistake so they just kept pushing forward with this agenda and it's disgusting because they knew that the story wasn't true but yet they were willing to hang me out to dry, send, send me away for life just to protect the institution. Yeah, that is disgusting. You know what? I'll, I'll let I'll let people fill in the rest of the details on the story by buying the book, The Book's a Man in the Arena. But I did want to ask Andrea something. I could easily ask this of Eddie, but I want to ask it of Andrea. How many times did you have to watch that man deploy? How many times did you drive Eddie to the airport or down to the base and say goodbye? Yeah, well, he deployed nine times um, overseas. So he really has fought in every major conflict since before 9-11. So He's been at the tip of the spear fighting the war on terror, and we were up against, basically, he was getting ready to reach his 20-year mark. So this deployment in 2017, which is the one that was where we went to trial over, was basically kind of a, um, a real culmination. He had picked up Chief, he was leading a platoon, he got this platoon from the last ranked platoon to the number one platoon. They got the billet to Mosul, he cleared Mosul in half the time. I mean, he received accolade after accolade. He was number one chief, number one platoon, and this happened in the wake of that deployment. So, you know, it was a stellar career. He had amazing um, teammates and brothers who he served with, and unfortunately, we just saw behind a curtain that we never knew existed when we got exposed to the level of this type of juvenile behavior that started this rumor and lie campaign it continued to escalate the allegations got insanely um rampant and we really assumed that someone was going to come into the room and be an adult and check this out investigate it properly and realize there was nothing to it because there was absolutely zero factual evidence and there was nothing there other than rumors lies and hearsay but unfortunately for us that didn't happen so we catalog the whole litany of things in the book that our family faced um but it was very hard to watch you know seeing him being vilified um in the media and everywhere for doing his job and doing it well but he basically got in this horrible situation that our family had to start speaking out about so that's that's our goal is to educate people about what this really was for our family because no one really knows. All right, last but not least, reputation aside, because you never end up putting back together a reputation after getting mm -hmm. an absolute smear campaign like that. Are you the Gallagher family? Are you made whole financially? You have your benefits. Do you have all that? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're good. Uh, you know, we, we've 
we've come back from this. Uh, and that's, that's the thing is our attitude is, you know, we're, we're not victims. We're not going to act like victims. You know, this, this was a nightmare, but we are just going to take all this adverse situation that we faced and, you know, it makes us stronger. You know, anytime you can come over a big mountain like that and come out on the other side, you become stronger as a family. And I think, you know, we're, we're just happy and blessed that we're with each other now. And, you know, we, we, uh, yeah, we're doing good. <laughs> good. Well, God bless you both. Go buy the book. The book is Man in the Arena. Andrea and Eddie Gallagher, thank you so much. Appreciate you. Thank Appreciate you, you. Thank you, brother. The system, when it decides you are the enemy, the system can destroy you like that. That's what makes it so scary. That's why you don't ever bow when they're smearing people because you don't know what's real and what's not. All right, we're not done yet. We'll be back. I'm getting ready to go back to school in the fall and my governor has put into place some ridiculous legislation that many governors across the country have put into place such as I can't teach anything divisive I can't teach critical race theory and I can't teach about racial equity this is at all public schools colleges and universities so teachers <clears throat> in the past We've been activists. After this last year, we really need to stand up and do what's right for our kids right now. So this is a call to action, teachers. We gotta stand up and fight for our kids because this is We can't lie to them. I'm sorry? Uh, I thought she, our kids? Is that what she said? Joining me now to talk about that and other things is Lenny McAllister. He is the CEO of the Pennsylvania Coalition of Public Charter Schools. Lenny, our kids? Are your kids hers too? I don't consider mine hers. Our kids? Well, that this is exactly where this goes, Jesse, and, and hello to you once again. I mean, the teachers unions and the teacher and teaching establishment views the kids and the money that comes with the kids as being theirs, their possessions, their entitlements, that leads to everything from their salaries to their pensions. And so when you start talking about what should be taught, they feel this inherent right to do whatever they think is right, not what's right for the kid when they don't see the kid 10, 20, 30 years down the road. You start talking about what's being taught to kids in regards to empowerment and the fullness of the American dream. It's not about what these teachers are going to be able to do over the two to three years that they're gonna to talk to these kids and touch these kids and interact with these kids. It's what is this kid gonna think about themselves, think about their region, their neighborhoods, and their country when they're 30, 40, 50 years old? And what are those kids going to teach their kids moving forward? That's the reason why this type of talk and, and the way they're trying to slant this is extremely dangerous. Lenny, I, uh, now forgive me if I'm wrong here, but I, I, I believe communism, at least cultural Marxism, which is the same thing, just rebranded, is alive and well in this country. It's certainly alive in schools. When I hear somebody talk about, well, their kids are actually my kids and they belong to me, that sounds like something straight out of the Marx playbook to me. 
it's it's you know the government owns them and the government owns their patriotism and things along the lines and that's dangerous in and of itself but even if you go to what she was saying we can't teach about equality that's not what's being said we can't teach about history that's not what's being said what what's being put on the books is you need to teach history in its fullness you don't get to sit there and say well america has never been about equality when you have nothing but movements again after again after again of this toil between people that were not treated right, whether it's British colonists, all the way through the, 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 the immigrants of the 20th century and 21st century, fighting for equality, leaning on a constitution and a sense of what it means to be America. That's something different than saying, America hates you because you're brown. America hates you because you're, you're black. America's never gonna treat you right. There are too many stories in American history that show redemption time and time again. And I don't know why some teachers don't wanna teach that story of redemption. It's a beautiful story and it's one of hope that can inspire kids to be the best that they can be for decades in their lives, not just one or two moments in a classroom. 100%, I, I, and I'll tell you what drives me crazy about this, Lenny, I don't understand I don't understand what her angle is or not. You know, I don't just want to specify her because she's she's one of, sadly, thousands in this country. What's your goal to make sure kids hate their own country, to make sure kids hate themselves? What is their goal? How do these people think? I think what's unfortunate, Jesse, is the fact that some of these teachers have a very narrow view of American history. They have a very contemporary view of what racism is all about. And they, and they apply that to what they should be teaching in school. Unfortunately, if they actually understood the robustness of what the American dream is, the robustness of American history, and the complexity of all these different things that have been going on back and forth. There's a way of teaching Jefferson and his greatness, but also the dichotomy of Jefferson and slavery. That's what American children are owed, not necessarily Jefferson was a hypocrite because he had slaves. That's what they want to teach. No, American history and humanity is nothing but a complex condition that you have to teach robustly so that people can find the lessons learned in order for us to be a better country moving forward. But that, Jesse, takes too much time. That takes too much effort, and it takes a doubling down of facts and objectivity, not just how you feel or what's making headlines last week. Lenny, what's the Lenny McAllister way you approach that with kids? Look, I'll tell you, I've got two sons. I'm obsessed with history, but I hate sugarcoating any of it. At the same time, I won't race people who hate their own country. When we talk about the, the Indians, we talk frankly about it. I tell them, yeah, son, I, yeah, a lot of that stuff did happen. We conquered them. They died. When we talk about slavery, we had, yeah, it's pretty much the worst thing in the world. Grateful it's gone. It's part of our history, but it doesn't define us as a nation. I'm trying to find the right balances presenting the truth while letting them know you're dang blessed to be here. But I might be screwing it up. What's the Lenny McAllister? No, I, I think that you're on the right path, Jesse. I mean, part of it is remembering the complexity of it all. You know, it would be, be like me saying that, yeah, African-Americans come from African slaves that were enslaved by white people and then leaving it at that and not teaching my young children or my older children when they were younger that there were whites that were involved in the abolition movement, that there were whites in Congress and the Senate that helped lead you know, to passage of the 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendment, that there were white soldiers fighting on both sides of the Civil War. 
You have to talk about the complexity of all of it and then say each individual as a child of God has the opportunity to be self-determinative. How are you going to treat other people? How are you going to apply your principles? And that all these different aspects of free will came together at a period of time in history to give us what we're studying now. Apply that and move forward. Remind people that those were people back then, not these two-dimensional figures that we're reading about in textbooks. These were people with emotions and feelings that sometimes evolved. They went from having a bad view on something to changing completely. Even Abraham Lincoln didn't quite have the view on slavery in 1864 that he had in 1854. Uh, Look, it is a fact. People, People hopefully grow. I know I could certainly use plenty of it. All right, Lenny. Are we winning right now? I know we've lost. I understand we've lost the education system. We've sadly lost generations of Americans. Setting that aside, I'm I'm looking for some hope here. Are we finally gaining ground? Are parents waking up? Are they choosing the charter school life, private school, homeschool? Or are parents really just still wandering in the wilderness, sending their kids off to commie training camps? Not not anymore, not after this pandemic. Look, school choice is polled as being favorable from mid-60s to mid-70s across the nation after this pandemic and as we're coming out of it, thank God. But what we're also finding is that parents are not only looking for other school options, They're now paying attention to what their kids are actually being taught and who's teaching them those facts and how they're they're sharing that information. And parents are now asking questions. Why are you teaching this? Why are you teaching this at this level? Is this an age appropriate level to teach these type of lessons? And the more we can get parents to do that, I think more of an opportunity we have to go back and take back parts of the education system. And that's gonna be important. Because if you don't have a sense of who you are and how you get through tough times, how you get through difficult times of race or culture or socioeconomic decay. I mean, again, we went through a pandemic where 22 million jobs were lost in one month. If you don't teach kids that we've gone through similar type of situations through the Great Recession, the Great Depression and the like, and we can get through it, how are they supposed to have hope? At least now through the internet, through shows like yours and the like, Parents are now showing their kids at home and in other school choice options. You can find your way. Keep hope going forward and let's move forward as Americans with pride and a sense of moving forward and doing things the right way. Lenny, all right, last question here. There's a parent watching this show, probably many of them watching this show. Either it's a two-parent household and they both feel like they have to work or it's a single dad or it's a single mom, whatever the case may be, they don't feel like they have the option of going down and yanking their kids out of their public school. But they might, right? What should they look into? What does a parent do who wants their kid out of their public school, doesn't feel like they have an option to homeschool? What, what Are there other options? Public charter schools or public schools. So many, many neighborhoods have a public charter school available that is still free, like a traditional district school that provides an alternative and a different way of educating your child where they're expecting the parent to be more involved and they're gonna take the child's individual needs more into account. They should be looking into public charter schools, whether it's here in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania or across the nation. There are other opportunities to get your kids into better schools. But the number one thing is, parents shouldn't think that they have to be educators like teachers, but they have to remember that they are the first educators. And if they're consistent with those lessons, they can then find the best academic and developmental fits scholastically for their kids. And that's how we turn America back around from where we've been over the last couple of decades 
to where we need to be. Lenny McAllister, you're the best, man. Thank you, brother. Thank you. God bless you all. He nails it. We'll be back. on Long Island this weekend uh, visiting a really dear friend and I was really disturbed I saw you know dozens and dozens of pickup trucks with uh, you know uh, explicatives against Joe Biden uh, on the back of them yep. uh, Trump yep. flags and some cases just dozens of American flags which you know uh, is also just disturbing because essentially the message was clear it was this is my country this is not your yep. country Ooh, those scary American flags. Joining me now with Prager University, Will Witt. Will, I get scared every time I see an American flag. I just hide under my desk. No, well, they're a terrifying sight to see because it means that you might actually love this country. And to love this country nowadays is something that is scary to a lot of people. So I understand why you would hide. <laughs> Will, when did that happen? I mean, I'm not exactly ancient. I'm not young anymore. I'm 39. But when I was a kid, even, Republicans and Democrats, just the American flag and patriotism and America's great, that was the norm. That was like 15 minutes ago. When did all this happen? Yeah, I mean, I'm 24. And so even when I was growing up younger than, younger than you, the American flag was always a symbol that everyone loved. I remember back when I was in elementary school, middle school, we still did the Pledge of Allegiance. Even in high school, it didn't really turn into this hate symbol, I think, until 2016 with Trump running for office. Because you had so many people who were patriotic Americans who were supporting Donald Trump and his efforts, and they would have American flags. And so then the American flag became a hate symbol. It, meant, it made it so that if you had an American flag, it meant you like Donald Trump. So now people are totally against it. Tell me about this Fly the Flag campaign. The Fly the Flag campaign with PragerU is essentially we are telling people that American patriotism is lost. People aren't patriotic in America anymore. Just like we were just talking about, people see the American flag as a hate symbol, which is a horrible thing to do. We see it as a symbol of we love this country, we love the values that it was founded on, and we want to show our support for it. So the Fly the Flag campaign is through PragerU where essentially people on all over social media are posting a picture of the flag and saying hashtag fly the flag, hashtag proud American to show their support and that they're not scared to support this country. Well, Prager University, they're out there doing, well, I should say, you're out there doing the Lord's work and giving people a real education. Please tell me your numbers are getting bigger and bigger and bigger as people get hungrier for real history and real knowledge and not this garbage we're serving up in schools. Yeah, well, look, we just passed 5 billion lifetime views, which is a huge accomplishment awesome. for all of us at PragerU. But when this happens, you have to understand, like, as you get more popular, I mean, I see you on Twitter. I love, you have the best tweets on the platform, I have to say. But you, you see this stuff going on and we get more popular. It also means that the left has to get more radical. It means that the people who hate our values and hate our ideas have to be even more strong about the things that they say and believe in. So despite us gaining more attention, gaining more followers, getting more views and influencing more people, the left is working even harder and we're still losing and have a lot more to do. Good. That means, that means you're winning. The more they hate you, that, I, I love it when they hate me. That's the best feeling in the world. I want these scumbag <laughs> communists to hate me. People like Gwen Berry. I, 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 Will, 
It would have been unthinkable even 10 years ago to have an Olympian turn her back on the American flag and throw a stupid activist t-shirt over her head when the anthem played. And I don't think it's a small thing. Not that I care about Gwen Berry or will ever say her name again after I'm done talking to you. She means nothing to me. But it, it, it is important that sports has become a divisive thing instead of a unifying thing, is it not? Look, you're going to the Olympics. All of the opportunities that you have to be at the Olympics, at the world stage, is because you live in America, that you had the chance to go and support this country. So you turning your back on it is a disgraceful thing. I mean, this is, people around the world are laughing at America when they see someone like this do this, because you are supposed to be representing our country in the best sense. Okay, so... Are we starting to win this patriotism battle? Obviously, I realize over the last year, we bottomed out big time. You saw people flooding the streets, dumping on this country. But I also feel like the right, at least, woke up and realized that we have, we have a fight to make here. We can't just sit back and enjoy. You know, that's a tough question. I don't know if we're winning. It's kind of, if you're an optimist, it means that you think everything's just going to work out. And if you're a pessimist, it means there's no reason to fight because everything's going to continue to get worse. I kind of just see the world and say, I'm going to continue to keep fighting. And I hope everyone else does, because I think that there's still so much more to do. Like I said before, the left is still winning in all these different avenues. And I think that conservatives, real conservatives, are, are waking up to the fact that we are in a civil war of ideas right now. And so I hope that real conservatives continue to stand up. But I don't know what the future holds. What's your favorite thing about America? My favorite thing about America is the Judeo-Christian values that this country was founded on. I just got recently baptized, and so seeing how the founders knew this about this country, that, you know, you don't get your rights from the government. You don't get your morality from the government. You get your rights from God. That is an incredible thing. There weren't constitutions for other countries before America made our constitution. You know, then other countries started to adopt their own thing. But it was really America that set the president the precedent of having constitutions around the world, and especially one that is endowed on us by God. So it's an amazing thing, and I love this country for that. I just wish we could go back to those values. Because right now, I mean, the religion of leftism is the biggest religion in America. So I hope we can get back to those Christian values this country was founded on. How about that? Will Witt got baptized. God is good, my brother. Yes, it is. Very good. All right. Will, thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Thanks, man. Patriotism's necessary. It's not, it's not some hokey thing you talk about at 4th of July. It's necessary. Let's hope we can get more of it. All right. We'll be back. I debated ending the show on sports because it's not a sports show, right? Obviously, I'm a dude. I like sports, but it's not a sports show. But I remain convinced the politicization of sports is one of the most damaging things that has happened to this country. Uh, sports used to be something that brought us all together. It did. Republican, Democrat, left, right, we could all agree, oh, let's go out and stand for the flag, cover the heart for the anthem, and watch our teams bash each other's heads in on the football field and hug and kiss and, well, I mean, if your wife's there, you know what I'm talking about. That used to be what sports was. It was never political. And now it's so angry and political and miserable. It's, it stinks. I miss when sports was this. And before I show this to you, just understand, I'm going to play the thing in its entirety, and it's a long clip, but daggone, man, this is what sports used to be.
that's as good as it gets. I'll see you.